0: Well, thanks for um, thanks for joining me, Dave. It's great to have you on. Oh, thanks for
1: having me. It's my great pleasure
0: having known you for such a long time. So no, you that's... grow up
1: into the man you are today.
0: <laughs> something like that. You, you've obviously you had something to do with it, which is good. And and I do appreciate you taking the time, man. I know you're a busy man. There's lots <laughs> on and we're in a very, very strange world right now, which makes everything a little bit more tricky to organise. So I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate everyone for listening in today again for another um, – another episode of the iron wool podcast i am aaron your founder and host of the iron wool podcast and as i said in the last episode we are starting to gain some momentum so i just want to you know shout out and send an appreciation to everyone who's getting behind this movement whether you're up you're getting onto some of the social media stuff and following that or listening to the podcast um in your car on your drive home and drive into work or drive home from work or even if you're watching this on youtube we really appreciate you guys getting on board and subscribing to this So Dave, again, I said, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to have you here. So those of you who don't know who Dave is, a full disclaimer, Dave used to be uh, a teacher of mine back, back in the day. So I do, I do go back a ways with Dave and, uh, and Dave was responsible for, for some of my education back in the day, which, which is, um, time flies, right? It's been a while. You've grown
1: up considerably.
0: Yeah, that's right. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. But, um. We're blessed to have Dave Dave, with us today. Dave is the founder of SALT, and I hope I get this acronym right, Dave, correct me if I don't, Sports and Life Training.
1: Sport and Life Training.
0: Yeah, perfect. And um, Dave's doing some pretty special work in the sporting world with regards to getting into sporting clubs and equipping men and women in life skills, would you say, Dave, and negotiating and navigating some of the challenges associated with both young and old people and how they deal with uh, those challenges and meeting them in those environments through the sporting clubs, assisting the coaching staff, assisting the secretaries, presidents of these clubs and giving them, uh, I suppose, uh, tools and assistance to raise up good young men and women. Is that fair to say, Dave? Oh,
1: yeah, you said it well. I'll give you a quick history. It
0: started after
1: I um, attended, within 18 months, uh, seven suicides in seven sporting clubs across Victoria. At that stage, I was the Victorian coordinator for Sports Chaplaincy Australia. So part of my role was to work in clubs that had had these tragedies. And in every club I went to, I heard the same message, and that was we never saw it coming. So researching the sporting clubs... At the time, the Trobe University Centre for Sport and Social Impact said that typically within your sporting club, you're three times more connected than you are at school or at work. So here were these places where people were very invested in each other and in the sporting club. They loved each other, and I could see that by the way they responded after the tragedy. But there were blind spots, and we'll probably talk about those tonight, whereby they said, we didn't see this. There was something missing in our relationship for me to know that my mate was struggling to the degree. And so that got me started to start salt that we would have these conversations proactively, not reactively, within sporting clubs around mental health and well-being, around drug and alcohol, around healthy masculinity, around empowerment of women and starting as young as 12, peer group pressure and decision-making, what kind of teenager are you going to be? What kind of choices are you going to make? We've got positive sports parenting, because sometimes parents are part of the problem, positive coaching, a whole lot of stuff on leadership and culture. and and a course called creating clubs with heart that we're doing with 59 clubs simultaneously at the moment from right around australia Mm.
0: that's uh that has grown into quite an initiative mate that's amazing and yeah there was a need for it
1: and a hunger for it and people i think naturally want to be better
0: yeah and i and i think that's fair and so so how did you go? So you, you, you obviously have a teaching, you've got an education background, you're a teacher, then you you spend time as a chaplain as well in the education system. Um, and then you obviously made that jump from essentially moving out of the education sector into a non-for-profit, starting a non-for-profit yourself, entering into private the world of private enterprise, I suppose, seeking funding, all those things. How did you go bridging that gap, jumping into that different world, and then essentially walking into some of these clubs? my understanding as well in some of these organizations is, you know, you're in regional areas as well. You are walking into places where you don't know a person from the town. You know, how did you go moving into that space and then having to self-promote and, and bang the drum and do those things?
1: I think I was always a really lazy teacher and, uh, and you were one of my <laughs> students, so you would have known. There wasn't a lot of lesson plans went into my teaching. It was much more conversational and question based. So I as a teacher had an activity that you might recall that was called circle work. And uh and circle work was a euphemism for everybody sitting in a circle and me asking them <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, if ten means great and one means struggling, how are you going? Yeah. And and how's home and how's the family and what are you interested in and what are you good at? And it would go for an entire term. And uh and I didn't have to put much into the report or mark anything. And yet it created a a training ground for me to ask questions and to listen and to connect the information between what one person was saying and what another person was saying or to just drop some wisdom in there at the point that somebody was receptive to hear. And it Mm. became my teaching mantra that it wasn't about the topic, it was about the people Mm. and connecting whatever it is you want to talk about to the people. So still now, when we go into a sporting club, this was kind of a good rehearsal. And let's say we're doing a drug and alcohol and we're in a country club like the one that you described at Sea Lake or or Charlton or St Arnold, you know, these places that we go to in Victoria. When we arrive there after the long drive and we go into the club rooms, I tell you what we typically find is about 100 kids running around. They're they're all over the Oval. uh, They're all in the club rooms. And, um, And so then they clear the kids out and they pull out the casseroles and we have something to eat and we start half an hour late. And I'll say tonight we're not here to talk about drug and alcohol or we're not here to talk about healthy masculinity. We're here to talk about those 100 kids or however many it was running around. What kind of future are they going to have? What kind of uh, club do you want to be? What kind of reputation do you want? What kind of impact on the kids do you want to have and where do drug and alcohol fit into that? So it's a natural conversation, which I think is essential if we're talking about men and, and, and living as a man, how do we have these conversations? We have them very naturally. We have them very organically. We ask good questions. Men are really poor at having people tell them how to live or what to do or who to be. We're much better at having a conversation about something that we like, such as ourselves and our sport yeah. and, uh, and, and how these other topics intersect. So it all started back as a teacher, just – talking um, to people and then I became the Victorian coordinator for sports chaplains Australia and I went out into clubs and we we put chaplains into clubs and what was their job to talk to people to to develop relationships to seek to understand before speaking into anybody's life and when you've got a platform of understanding then to say you know have you thought about this or or do you want to talk about that or do you want to catch up for a beer or a coffee and and, you know explore a few things so that's how it all kind of happened
0: yeah and hearing what you're saying it was about building relationships i suppose going into those environments and one of the things we talked about in the last episode was around respect and how much respect means to men you know and what that comparison looks like with women and they're very different and with men it sounds like to me you're going into these environments once you earned that respect what was it like when you you know the first time you walk into a club you know, you said, you know, you're getting people around and probably using language and, and having discussions with these organisations and with the people that make up these organisations they've probably never had in their lives, fair to say, you know, where they would have someone talk about this type of stuff. Is that fair to say? I felt like the greatest imposter. Yeah. And, and often,
1: unfortunately, I was introduced as the expert. So even at those seven suicides, every single time they said, and we've got an expert here to talk to you, as though somehow you need to be an expert to get into this um, conversation and actually you don't. And that's part of the problem. You know, this low-level intervention by people who care, your mates who just ask you how you're going and are genuinely interested is highly effective in, in change as opposed to, you know, the the lecturer or the, the expert who's
0: PhD. coming in mm-hmm.
1: yeah, to tell you all the great knowledge that they've learned. So, so I felt like an imposter and, and there were times – where I was really challenged. I remember I was doing one about drug and alcohol at a northern suburbs footy club. And I'll give you the background. I arrived because on the Saturday previous to me going there, they'd had a social event and they'd trashed the whole place and there was broken glass on the oval and there were people there having to pick up the glass and clean up the ground before the little kids came to do their training early on a Sunday morning. And the club were disgusted at them. And so they asked me to come in and do a drug and alcohol session. And I'm talking about it, and then I get interrupted. And a guy says, Dave, we hear what you're saying, but we just really enjoy getting pissed on a Saturday night, as though (laughs) I'm going to put to bed everything that you've just said about all the reasons for being a mature male and not wrecking things for other people. We just enjoy getting pissed on a Saturday night. And I said, well, that's okay. You've got to own who you are. So what you are is a really good drinking club but what you're not is a really good football club. And I said, put your hand up if you're okay with not being a decent footy club. And no one put their hand up. And so, again, it was. Uh, sometimes I think we've just got to call it out and we've got to take the risk and we've got to stick with the truth and say it in love. And then you wait for someone to call you out and go, how dare you say that, or you imposter. And no one ever did. Huh. I thought, me, my heart's pounding. And, and I'm thinking, that surely they're going to say, who are you to say that to us? But they didn't. And again, this is a men thing. You come with a sense of, of love. Uh, you come and you listen. Uh, and then you tell the truth. Uh, and they will listen. And, and they'll respect it. But I, I can tell you another sort of similar story. I was at another club in the eastern suburbs. And they've just gotten into a lot of trouble, made the front page of the newspaper because they'd had strippers and underage kids watching. yeah. So I had to go and talk to them about respect and equality. And they were nervous this time because they thought I was going to give them a big lecture because actually my coming out was part of their punishment from the league. But uh, at the very beginning, I said, tell me what happened. And they sheepishly kind of told me the story. And I said, what do you think? Was it okay? And they said, we were just unlucky because we got caught. All the clubs do it. And I said, do they? I said, let me ask you this question. Do excellent clubs do it? Put your hand up if you think excellent clubs do it. Again, it was this, just this line of questioning. And no one put their hand up. I said, put your hand up if you would like to be an excellent club. And they put their hand up. So where does it fit? Does it fit with you or not? Again, it was the questioning. It was the listening. It was the not trying to tell people what to do. It comes right back to that circle work. It was all about what you said. It was about relationship and about listening and asking good questions. I think that's really important.
0: And you, so you're not coming in and saying tisk tisk, you guys need to change your culture. You're no. saying you're saying you're saying I know where these guys' value is. That's greater than a negative drinking culture or a, a negative culture for for underage you know um, athletes because I know they want to be the best club they can be. This is exactly it. Because no
1: man wants to be
0: a dickhead or an idiot.
1: Mm. He, he doesn't grow up thinking, I want to be a bad person. He just doesn't think through the repercussions. And he watches other people do it. And he's not thinking how it's going to end up. And he's not thinking he's the one to question them. But if you start asking the questions about who he wants to be, You find one man that doesn't want to be a a really good version of himself. At the heart of us, you said it earlier, we want to be respected. We want to be authentic. We want to be trustworthy. Uh, These are essential to who we are. And so you start asking those questions and, and the authentic man starts to rise up who's been buried down below and come out and say, give me a chance to be this. And if I can get a bit of collective support here as a group, and we're going to move forward from some of the stuff that actually I didn't really buy into. I just did it because everybody else was. Hmm. I'll be a part of that. It's exciting to watch.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And I think that that's exactly right. In my experience, is that you talk to the average person, you say, "Do you do you want to be remembered as a dickhead, as a clown, as as uh, as a bit of a galah, as you know, no, un, no disrespected, you know, poor reputation?" unloyal, whatever, whatever those negative values are. And, and I'm saying, get them away from the gang for a second as well. You know, sometimes when you've, you know, you're you're six pints deep at 2am in the morning is not when you have that conversation, but certainly in a sobering moment, have that conversation. No man's going to pass up the opportunity to be remembered to have integrity, respect, reliability, responsible. You know, one of the things that, really jumped out to me when i was when i was um starting to go down this path of becoming a better a better man was i was reading some material by jordan b peterson and he said a really good yardstick is you want to be a reliable person and and don't sound too macabre in this but you want to be a reliable person at your father's funeral a person at your father's funeral that people can rely on and in that moment of grief in that moment of vulnerability in that moment of we need someone to rely on during this moment in the family you want to be that person and that really resonated with me and then i realized wow i've got to set myself on the path to development here and to set aside what we you know what we call childish things and say we as men are called to you know for something greater than that and i think there's so many blokes sitting in organizations and clubs and businesses and families and all these other spaces that have so much untapped potential that deep down inside on a carnal level, they want to be better than what they are and they know they can be.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more. I haven't got any tattoos, unlike your good self. But if I was going to get (laughs) one, it would be that word, potential. I, I think it's the most untapped resource in the world. And... We watch, you know, we work in in sporting clubs and if I use the example of AFL footy and you're coaching a group of 15 year old boys playing footy and you ask one of them to come off the field to come and sit on the bench, he will sprint off the field to make way for somebody else. He'll put his body on the line and he'll take a hit so that his teammate can get away with the ball, you know, he'll back into a pack and get a knee in the back of his head. If he's 15 metres out from goal, he'll give away the goal. He'll handball over the top to the boy who can kick it rather than kick it himself because he's putting team before himself. What's he showing? He's showing um, sacrificial um, love. Love. He's showing um, determination, teamwork, good communication, good decision-making. Everything that a 15-year-old boy does not exhibit anywhere else except on on the football field. And why? Because that's him at his best. And we started SALT to try and take what people do on the field when they're at their best and apply it more widely because that's when we become that authentic, consistent version of ourselves. You know, why are so many kids unhappy on social media? Because Mm. they're experimenting with different personality types. They're listening to different groups and they're trying to be different people rather than who they really are. So here we saw a 15 or a 16-year-old willing to be sacrificial and, and, and unselfish. Totally counter-instinctive to an under-15 boy. But it's possible when conditions are right and when the team says this is what we value. So this is why team sport is is so important. And one of the things at the moment that's really difficult is that we've had almost a two-year gap in team sport at an age, particularly for 15, 16, 17-year-olds, when their social development and they're becoming that best version of themselves is required to take place through making decisions under pressure and they're not doing it. You know, they're stuck at home in bed and doing a whole bunch of stuff. So there's some important development things that are missing. But no, coming back to your, your point, um, men want to be their best. We often ask in clubs, I'll ask this question of young men. Tell me, who are you when you're at your best? And they really struggle. Like, oh, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty good at sport. I'm pretty funny. Uh, they're really struggling to, to think of anything. And um, I remember one young boy, he was about 18, and he was playing in the in the NAB League, which was TAC Cup, so he was a, a very good footballer, and he was wearing thongs and he had tattooed on his toes the word chill, C-H-I-L-L. And I said, tell me about that. He goes, oh, I don't know, I'm just pretty chilled. <laughs> I said, you got five toes left, and if you wanted to, you could go with the word Excel, E-X-C-E-L, to be the very best that you can be. What do you reckon? He goes, oh, no, I'm just pretty chilled. Sure. <laughs> anyway, I was talking to his, his coach afterwards. He goes, that boy's on the radar of four AFL clubs. He's an exceptional footballer, but he won't get drafted for that very reason because he's not willing to step up and be his best. But when we ask them, who are you and you're the best they can't think? then we say, tell me, are you honest? They go, yeah. Are you trustworthy? Uh huh. Are you loyal to your mates? Yeah. You put your head over the ball. Are you courageous? Uh huh. Are you unselfish to give the ball off to others when they're in better position? Uh huh. And we'd go through character strength after character strength, and they realise that actually they are those things, but they don't brand themselves with those things. They brand themselves that I'm chilled, I'm funny, I'm good at sport. They think that's the equity that matters, and it's not. Here's another study, really interesting uh neil danaher talks to the melbourne football club and he says this he says every one of you is on a continuum up this end is selfish and up this end is selfless everywhere one of you is somewhere on that but don't bother telling me where you think you are because your teammates know they know by what you do and it's actually what they measure you by so if we can start to change the language for men But it's not about how many goals you kick or your six-pack or how fast you are or your skin folds or how many girlfriends you've got or how much money you earn. All these sort of false indicators of our worth. What are people actually trying to measure when they meet you? Can I trust you? Do you care about me? Do you know what you're actually talking about? These are actually the things that people – and the biggest one, is are you unselfish? Are you sacrificial? It's a different way of thinking.
0: It is a different way of thinking. And when you look at modern media these days or what we would put up as being something that we would aspire to, none of those values are ever mentioned. No one ever says, this person was wise, this person was um, selfless, this person was... Um, you know was full of integrity Uh, you know uh, these things just don't seem to be on the radar compared to wealth power fame you know Uh, and to me I think that 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 is one of the greatest tragedies in when young men or any man of any age falls into the, the, the pit when it comes to thinking that they are the only things that are going to be the metric for success in my life.
1: False metric. People don't believe in them, but they think that they have to follow them out of fear that if they don't, uh, they could be ostracized or, or left out. Do you want to hear another story? Oh, keep gum. I'm in a, a footy club under 19s. It's a drug and alcohol session. I say, who's the biggest drinker in the room? And I all point to this kid over on my right. His name's Paddy. And they're all kind of pointing at him, and he's kind of proud that he's the kid who's singled out as the biggest drinker. I say, Patty, how much if you go out to a social event, how much you drink? He goes, Oh, probably a dozen cans. Maybe bought another couple. So 14 cans, that's pretty impressive. And all the guys are kind of roaring with laughter, and he's pretty you know impressed with himself. And then I say, hand up anyone here who doesn't drink at all. And out of the group of about 30 boys, two of them very sheepishly just put their finger up. They're too scared to actually put their hand up. They don't want to identify, but they don't want to be dishonest. So they just put their finger up. I say, Johnny, up the back, put your hand up and own it. Now, tell me, why don't you drink? And he goes, well, I play TAC Cup. I want to get into law. And me and my mates, we just don't need it. And I say, okay, hand up if you respect Johnny for that decision. And if every single hand goes up in the room immediately. So put your hands down. I say, now, I'm going to ask you a question. Would you rather be popular or respected? Because we saw Patty over here, and no offence, Patty, you're a very popular guy. You drink a lot. <laughs> hand up if you'd rather be popular than respected, not one hand. Hand up if you'd rather be respected than popular, every hand. I've run that activity since 100 times. I've never had one hand ever Go to say, I'd rather be popular than respected. Why? Because the DNA of a man says, I want you to respect me. But Johnny was too scared to put his finger up. He had um, believed the lie Mm. that somehow he was going to be thought less of. Mm. But every single bloke thought more of him and wanted to be him, but it was a harder route to take. The easy route got the laughs. But you talk about your dad's funeral. Who are you going to trust in a crisis? You're going to go to Paddy. Mm. who can drink a lot. Are you going to go to John who's already shown the, mm. the backbone to stand up to the pressure and be the very best that he can be? You're going to go to John. And I think, you know, we didn't write the rules. You know, we talk about the rules of manhood. Who, who wrote them? But, I mean, this one about drinking, that somehow by drinking a lot of alcohol, mm. you're a more manly person. The advertisers have done a terrific job. You watch the mm. Carlton uh, uh, you know, and, and
0: they're very um. And, 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 well, just on that for a second, uh, uh, do you enjoy looking at the, the Baffoon of the Year on each beer ad? It's always oh. a bloke. It's always a bloke that is an absolute nimwit. I'm sure he's very intelligent in real life as an actor, but he is portrayed as an absolute nimwit. He must be the same guy that if he doesn't get on the beer ad, he gets on the super cheap auto ad. And <laughs> just... The
1: gambling ads are, are even yeah. clever.
0: Yeah, and I want to touch on that briefly if we can, because that that is something that um that I am I am seeing in plague proportions. Not only you know just on on uh, on mainstream media from an advertising standpoint, but just even in circles, social circles, the the gambling now seems to be fever pitch. There's not much you can't take a punt on. The barrier of entry to punt is is really easy. What, what are you seeing on the ground there in, in local sporting clubs? Is that becoming, I know, and, and you know, you know. full disclaimer here, we're well aware that a lot of particular local clubs, funding is a challenge. And, and And we understand that from a business perspective. These organizations need to be self-sufficient. They need to have, you know, more resources than ever now to become competitive, particularly in tier one type divisions and rely on pokies for revenue as well. How do you find? Are you seeing a lot of problems around gambling and problem gambling? Massive.
1: Yeah. We actually work for the Victorian Responsible Gambling
0: Foundation. So I'm mm-hmm. actually presenting
1: in this space and we're surveying and, and getting the results. So the gambling companies are, are very, very clever. Um, and so they're targeting young kids who love sport and associating the love of sport with gambling. So. Mm-hmm you ask a young kid to name gambling companies and they can name you four or five. They understand the idea of the odds of a game and they start gambling small amounts because it feels like you've got skin in the game. And the very same kind of endorphins that you get from winning when you play sports, So kids love winning and they win. You win on a race or you, or you win on a sporting game you get the same sense of winning. Mm. Uh, And so that's very, very addictive. Uh, So this is so addictive. I remember hearing in one cricket club that it, The wicket had fallen. The guy was going out to bat. He didn't want to go out and bat because the race was running that he had a a bet on, uh, and he had to see the result. Australia is the greatest gambling nation in the world. Per capita. Per capita. Yeah. By 40% to the next country, which is Singapore, and we lose something like $1,600 for every man, woman, and child in, in the state. It's just obscene how much goes into gambling. And the destruction that this brings in regard to mental health, uh, family relationships, uh, work output, uh, physical health, you know, it, it's it's extreme. And it's a very silent thing because there's shame attached to it. So men don't, you know, they'll tell you when they've had a win, but they won't um, tell you that this problem's become increasingly worse. You have a few wins. Uh, you think you're good at it, so you increase your odds. You lose, you chase that. Uh, you end in a deep spiral, a, a very deep pit, and it's very hard to get out of, very addictive. But again, it's something that they've targeted at young men as part of your masculinity. Like the beer ads that say, it, you know, um, it, it takes a lot. Um, oh, i forgot what it says about, um, but it, 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 um, it, it equates manhood with, with beer and, um, you know, they've done that very cleverly. And, and we now believe that it takes some kind of masculine courage to drink Large amounts of beer. It actually takes a lot more courage to say no within an environment where people are pressuring you to drink.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, and and I think that the, the there's a couple of scourges at the moment, but I think some of the big ones is 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 obviously al- alcohol alcoholism. I think gambling, problem gambling, and and then obviously you know the the drug scene is a big one. Would you say those are probably the three biggest? Um, contributors to negative outcomes and culture in men and also for these organisations? Or do you think there's other factors as well in what you've seen? I think there's other factors as well. There's one big factor that hasn't been mentioned for men and it's loneliness.
1: And it's it's the biggest um, cause of depression, anxiety, suicide. Um, and there's other factors too. Um, you know, anger is a big problem in mm. uh, men who often haven't got the language skills to express how they're feeling to somebody, or they're not willing to be vulnerable and, and talk to somebody about how they're feeling. So often these things like the drugs and the alcohol and the, and the gambling, they can be secondary to other issues. They can be around self-esteem and, and loneliness. I mean, during lockdown, gambling increased, drinking's increased, um, violence within the home was increased. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to men and their identity uh, and not actually being confident in who they are um, and, and so they, they they lower themselves to these things which doesn't create the best version of themselves
0: yeah yeah and and uh, I, I suppose that where, where is where do you see this going I mean obviously you, 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 your organization is doing some great things in in trying to um, what I would call, Shift the needle, but where do you see this going? Is this, you know, what's what's your honest appraisal here of of some of these challenges that men are facing, you know, all ages? The greatest change we've seen, without any shadow of a doubt, is
1: men now being willing to talk about their mental health. Mm. That was never a thing in the past. That's the idea of being stoic and keeping it to yourself has now changed. There's been a really good push to understand that it takes courage to share if if you're struggling. And so that has really changed. Um, Right now, too, we know it's a a real um, pivotal moment for sporting clubs because of the break that we've had enforced upon us. To get people to come back now, clubs are going to have to change a little bit. They can't be the old-fashioned clubs. And that idea of you've got to sell a certain amount of alcohol to pay your senior players, which happens in football in most particular, you know, a lot of cricket clubs, absolutely has to change as well. Mm. Um, No longer can clubs figure that that's going to be attractive to the rest of the community because people are too worried now about putting their kids into those environments. Uh, So mental health has changed. Um, Speaking up about a whole range of things, obviously there's been a big push to see women um, feel safe and uh, to be promoted within sport, to be promoted within business. Um, The idea that you and I can go for a jog at night and feel quite safe or go on a train, but a woman can't. Um, Mm. There's been a a really big push in regard to um, men speaking up about other men who show aggressive behavior towards women. And um, and I think this openness, this calling a spade a spade like I, I talked about earlier, holding our mates accountable to be the very best version of themselves is starting to increase uh, and, and that's a good thing. Now, Look, the drugs are, are a massive problem. Um, for some, they'll just say, I go through a phase and, you know, when I get to 30 or I have kids, oh, I stop. Mm. Others obviously can't. It becomes highly addictive. But what we see in clubs now is, a sense of um, support where a guy gets up and says, I am a, a drug addicted person and his mates go, well, we'll get around you on a Friday night and we'll take you to safe places and we'll, we'll help you through that. So I think we've become much less judgmental and people can feel more open about what it is that they're going through and that's a, a healthy change. So I think we're seeing some really healthy changes uh, in terms of our view of manhood but by the same token as you and I have spoken about beforehand, sometimes it leaves men not sure what manhood really means to them or how you navigate this path because of the changes that are taking place. Most of them are good, but it's hard.
0: Yeah. When, when I when I first had to – well, one thought of the concept of, of, of Iron Will and trying to establish a vision and a bit of a mission statement around what it is so that I could articulate to people like yourself on explaining what is the goal, I did find myself – having to find a a balance between not making this sound like the the values of traditional manhood was me trying to reach back into the past into a time when 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 it was a a man's world and 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 some of those toxic behaviors I was trying to justify or trying to you know say that we're supposed to be cavemen and we are meant to be you know, a, a certain type of man that fits inside a box and you know, you you need to be masculine and it's about Velcro and Footy and it's about, you know, physicality and aggression. It was none of that, you know. While I think that some of those are carnal attributes, you know, by design for us as men, um, that were you know had practical application once and we live in a different world now, right? You know, um and so, you know, trying to find what is what is manhood and then being able to articulate it where I'm finding that balance between real men are honest, real men talk about how they feel that, you know, I always remember, um, without getting on too much of a tangent, I was um, involved in one of my footy clubs when I was still playing uh, before both of my knees obliterated themselves. And, and I... Uh, we had a coach, a performance—not a performance coach—come in. he was a motivational coach and he ran our summer program. And he talked about the—he um, talked about the All Blacks, which I'm going to quote him here and I hope he's right. He was saying they are one of the most successful sporting teams on earth by big record. Biggest
1: big, most yeah. successful team in the world in professional sport.
0: Yeah. And he talked about their creeds and how their creeds have become quite famous. And, and one of them was keeping a blue head, you know. And, and going back to what I was saying is that. You know, a, a man who is who is in tune with his environment. A man who can have, a, 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 a can have an articulate, rational conversation with his wife without throwing a bottle against the wall or storming out. You know, a man who can find his priorities from a family standpoint. You know, uh, prioritizing his family over the pub. You know, and I think that finding that line for a man... Is is very difficult, and it's become even more complicated now. But I think, to your point, there are there are good inroads because it's now at least accessible for men to be able to have the discussion.
1: Um, yeah, well, the All Blacks and a lot of sporting clubs, normally the really successful ones, have understood that you've got to get culture right. So the All Blacks won't let you play for them unless you are what they consider a good person, and their and their number one attribute is humility. So. They talk about sweep the sheds. There's nobody better than anybody else. And the whole transformative um, development of the Richmond Football Club was around this very same principle that they became authentic. So, so Damien Hardwick was about to lose his job. Um, the end of 2016, they lost the last game to Sydney Swans by 113 points. And in the off season, his wife, he was coaching his daughter's netball team, and he was being relaxed and happy and authentic and fun. And his wife said, you know, the Richmond Football Club don't see you like this. They see this aggressive, hyper-masculine male barking out orders and full of pride and anger. And why don't you just try being your real self? So he went and he apologised. He showed this humility that the All Blacks talk about. He goes, I want to apologise for the person that I've been. I want to tell you I've been going through some hard stuff. And I want to start an exercise called Hero Hardship Highlight, and I want you to share who's your hero, what's the biggest hardship you've been through, and what's the highlight of your life. And they started with the, the leaders, cochin and, and Martin and Rewalt and these guys, and they started to build these connections of authenticity. And it was Trent cochin who then owned up and said, I've got a, a terrible mental health issue at the moment. And after he said all that, it was such a weight off his shoulders that his form and everybody else's form just steepled into something that won them three premierships in four years such was the power of men being humble authentic um true to themselves respectful of each other picking up you know you, you see becca Hooli picking up the bottles off the field as they're walking off it's yeah. not his job to do it but he does nah, nah. you know so so this, this is very very powerful stuff but it yeah. doesn't mean that as men we become just that side of it that soft caring respectful empathetic, loving. and Now, let's celebrate the other side too. We're courageous. We're determined. We put our head over the ball. We run down the stairs when the um, invader comes into our house and we don't send our wife to do it. We do it. Mm. Uh, And, Mm. and, you know, when we're fighting a fire, we step up and and we do so with courage. Mm. And these are wonderful Mm. attributes to be Mm. honoured. And and we don't want to lose. And and the other thing we don't want to lose is our humour. We've become such a woke society that anything can be construed as offensive, and that's a problem because humour is uh, is part of our healing. To be able to have a, have a joke, so we form these little inner circles of trust, and they happen at the footy clubs. And we know we can actually crack a joke at our mate, and he's not going to take offence, or you know. And that's really important. And some of that's been yeah. lost. So we've got to find that balance.
0: Yeah, that uh, that political correctness or cancel culture and all that is, is 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 really is really gotten quite crazy, and some call it the death of comedy, don't they? Which I, which I think to a degree is almost. Now you got to, and going back to what you were saying, there's some good value there because this is not just to your point. Football clubs are businesses; they're franchises. they they, they have to seek outcome. That's the goal of those businesses, and the goal is to win at the end of the day. But when people understand, whether it be in, in in private business, whether it be in your family life, whether it be in in non for profit or in a sporting club, when you realise that your culture, or what I call you know your your standards, right? So your standards are essentially a reflection of your actions, and your standards aren't what you they're not what you preach; they're what you tolerate. And so what you tolerate are your actions, and your actions directly correlate into your culture. And so your culture and the bottom line, let's call the bottom line whether it's private enterprise on making money, or whether it's a non-for-profit on seeking your vision, or whether it's a sporting club on, on winning a flag, your bottom line and your culture are not mutually exclusive. They are directly connected.
1: So we often ask the question, why
0: do you play your sport?
1: And and we give them, is it to win premierships? Is it to become the best player that you can be? Is it to create a safe and enjoyable environment for your mates and you? Or is it to be the very best person that you can be? Uh, And most of them say, oh, it's mainly about having that good environment with my mates, the, the third one. And we say, well, we would actually draw it back and say it's the fourth one. If you can become the very best person you can be and you focus on that, and you will create that safe and enjoyable environment. And if you create that safe and enjoyable environment, you will become the best player you can be. And if you become the best player you can be, you've got a chance of winning a premiership. You still might not because you might not be good enough or luck goes against you. But you give yourself the very best chance. So it's no coincidence that the greatest clubs in the world, the Barcelona's, the San Antonio Spurs, the, the All Blacks, all have one thing in common. They have incredibly strong culture. And they only take good people, or they take people and make them into good people. And if you're not a good person, you don't last. And that's all about that humility, ego at the door. I have a shot, but you have a better shot, so I give it off to you. We deflect to our teammate and give him the praise. We respect our coach and we we listen in. And, and, and these are the foundations for life. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. And, and yeah, so yeah, so so we we don't gain by being a less than best version of ourselves, and nobody wants to be. It's just what does that mean in, in the political correct world of manhood today? I don't think we really have to throw out much at all. The only bits we have to throw out are the bits that we kind of sense anyway are damaging. When you get that sense inside of you that this feels kind of wrong,
0: mm, you know,
1: that, that it normally is. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then that's when we back away. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the, the value and the power for, Man, i I, I got to be honest with you. I, I wish, no regrets, but geez, I wish some of this stuff, I wish I grasped some of this stuff when I was 16, 17, you know, because it is so easy to get caught in some of these self fulfilling cyclical cycles where you get to the point where you wake up and you, you know, a man might be 27, 28, 29, and he's lost, he's lost 10 fundamental years of what could be the the time when you are meant to really be investing in yourself and growing and creating, you know, the foundation for the future man that you're going to be, that's going to get married and become a father and become, you know, a, a, a respected person in whatever your vocation is going to be. And so, oh, man, I just wish some of this stuff, you know, I'd heard earlier and I think as well, a lot of people would think the same, but that's really where... It's about it's about trying to you know put this stuff out there and get people to, to grab hold of it and see how powerful it is that it's not it has nothing to do with all the things that you think are important right now at a young age which is you know your social media account your bank balance you know your you know all this type of stuff um, I think they do know it at heart but
1: um, it, it's very hard to follow in a society that, that, that says different it, 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 because Studies show that just about every young man worries that he's not muscular enough, Mm. and just about every young girl worries that she's not thin enough. Mm. And they're looking for the things to validate that all of the time. Mm. If you ask them, what's most important? You know, good relationships, being the best person you can, or your looks and things. I say no, it's about the relationships. It's about being the best that you can. Mm. But what do they spend their time worrying about? how they look and you know, these mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. So, look, you, you, you are right. There's, there's a sense inside of who we need to be. It's deep down. It stays there. But there's just so many external factors going on that we need to learn to shut out, and they haven't got the discipline to do that. And the social media has been a tremendous trap for for our kids, and, and we know that that um, that comparison and um, fear of missing out is, is really, really strong in terms of them. Being less than their best, but yeah, I agree with you. I wish we would learnt it earlier.
0: Yeah, but we're here now, right? So that's that's the main thing. So I think one of the questions I had for you is, you know, reading reading a little bit about Sultan and, and delving into into the vision and the mission there, and one of the one of the things you've got in in the information section of the website is around men are not the problem. Explain explain to me the the change in thinking there and trying to re-educate that your gender is not is not negative by default. And, oh. and what, what do you mean by that?
1: It actually makes me really angry
0: hmm. that there
1: is a small section of our society that if a man rapes a woman or misbehaves in a really egregious way, that some people will go, well, that's men. As though hmm. somehow that's, that's all men. Um, When we are told we're the problem, our natural reaction is to fight and push back and argue and not be part of the solution. But we are part of the solution because every man, as you and I have spoken about, wants to be their very best. And if we tap into their potential, that word we used earlier, if, if we go into a sporting club and we say, actually, what we see in you is tremendous leadership. We see people who are courageous and sacrificial and the things that you do, everybody loves, you know, your sport, but not many people play because it, it takes courage to, to, to actually do it. You know, we talk about some of the courageous sports. Um, if we start to to paint a destiny over them of who they can see themselves being, mm-hmm. they will live up to our expectations. So if you say you're part of the solution, that's how they're going to act. If you say you're the problem, they're going to resist and see themselves as the problem. So, it's a very much a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and, and look, you know, we can we, we see in our state right now when we're told to not do something, we tend to rebel. But if we're told, no, here's a, a reward for you in the end, that you can make a difference, and you, you know, we, we tend to get vaccinated or whatever it is. Um, now, that positive language is is far more effective. Um, so no, we, we say to people, you're, you're part of the, the solution. And part of that is holding our mate accountable. So you go into a sporting club and they're very good at accepting people in. If you can play the sport, come on in. Uh, they're very good at joking around and and all of that, but they're really bad at holding our mates accountable and saying, Hey, I've I've noticed that you know, you're looking at your phone a lot and you seem to be short of money, have you got a gambling problem or I've noticed how much you're drinking. Is this becoming an issue for you? Or, you know, I just heard the way you spoke to your girlfriend and it kind of sounded wrong to me. Are you okay in regard to this? Do you want to talk about it? Now, that's stuff we're really bad at. But you build the relationship and actually men really appreciate it because you're helping them to be the best version of themselves and they know that and they want that. It's like I said at the very beginning when I was going into clubs and I was holding them to account and saying, do you want to be a good club? Do you want to be an excellent club? And, and I was calling them out, and I was waiting for them to push back, and they didn't. I realised men like you to be honest, to hold them to account, so long as you do, don't do it in an arrogant way, in a, in a no-all way.
0: Yeah, I was playing bush footy. Um, playing's a strong word. I was rocking up to a club tracking the jersey on and I'm running around like a mad chook. But um, um, and and it was such an it was such a great time and I was with some close mates of mine as well, which was really good, but I I ended up playing um, bush footy for a couple of seasons and, um, you know, we're talking about a one-horse town here. They've only got the football club and the post office and the pub and that's it, you know, and and playing up there during those days was really interesting. But I remember, um, remember being up there and, um, and the culture is vastly different, you know, particularly from city city life. That's that's the first thing I'll say: is that it's very different. The stakes are different. The the emphasis on how much football means for the local community and local culture is is also equally as important. But I was also um, really shocked by the number of broken families that where you would find the odd bloke. And he literally did nothing else but was part of that football club, you know. And for whatever reason, he wasn't connected with his family and that. But his football club became, you know, essentially was his family. It was almost like a what was essentially a religion, to use yeah. a thrash phrase. Yeah.
1: The president of the All Snowy River Football Club, he said, "We've had bushfires, had floods, had an avalanche, and we've had an earthquake." Uh, He goes, people come up here in their four-wheel drives, they shoot stuff, they wreck the place, and then they go home and leave it in a mess. And you know what the worst thing is? Mm. we can't play our sport. Out of all of those things he listed, the hardest thing we've had to deal with is not being able to play sport.
0: Can I I give you a story about that? So this is where I was going with it. So I was playing up at this club, and we'd finished on a Thursday night. We'd done selection. We'd had our raffle. Never won a sausage at a raffle, Dave. By the way, I gave up in the end after about, you know, five years of raffles, and finished up. And I left first because it was a fair trick back back to the suburbs, and um, heading home. My mate was in front of me. Well, we left together, I should say. So we left together at the same time, uh, but we were the first to leave, and he was ahead of me. And I went through a corner, and I copped some gravel, and I rolled rolled my car, and it rolled four times. Slid on the roof into the front yard of this bloke that lived in this this you know little country town, little mountain town, and I was upside down. I kicked the door open, got out, and the bloke comes running out of his house. And I remember looking through the glass before I kicked out, and I could see he was watching Deal or No Deal. I could see his living room TV, <laughs> and I kick kick out the door, and I and I get out, and he comes running out, and Jeep jeepers, mate, are you okay? And I said, yeah, and I was, I, was, I was a bit out of it. I was just in shock and just a little bit confused with what just happened, because it happened so fast. And, and he goes, "Oh, you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not all right, mate. And he pulls out his cigarettes out of his top pocket. He goes, yeah, freezing cold night, you know. He's like, oh, do you want a, do you want a dart, mate? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm okay, mate. And he goes, oh, you're, uh, you're playing the back line for so-and-so. Oh, you'll be right for this week, mate. You'll be right for this week. And I'd just taken out this guy's whole front fence. All the brickwork in this Toyota Corolla, company car, <laughs> and I and and
1: was that you were going to be right
0: for the weekend. And all he was concerned about was you'll be right to line up against Junction this week, mate, won't you? <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and you know the problem about these places, Dave. One road in, one road out. So all the boys started leaving the club. And every man and their dog was lining up behind me getting out of their car, the policeman was there and and oh it was a it was a debacle I a thing. But that, that again just gave me this idea that it it you know, these clubs are everything to these blokes. They are everything to these blokes.
1: But did you play on the weekend?
0: I did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bit of whiplash. But oh. I got to, I got away unsha In all honesty, what happened was because it was a, a hatchback the, the jack and the spare tire wasn't obviously screwed down properly. And the jack came out of the boot, bounced around in the car and landed next to me on the roof and didn't hit me in the head. And the copper said to me, he said, um, you are one lucky young man. We had a bloke who crashed on the other side of the mountain, got hit in the head with his guitar case and it killed him only about three months ago. And, and he said, that Jack would have taken your head off. And I was very blessed, mate. Very yeah. blessed. God was good to me that night, yeah.
1: I'm glad you're still with us.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I remember Nicole, my wife, she's not happy with me. You think about guys like our mate Andy, who's in
1: his 40s, and, and, and every time he he does pre season and he runs out to play just one more season and he pulls his hamstring off the bone or he actually put his bicep off and he, you know, and they know they've got no chance of getting through a season where the most horrendous of injuries you were the same. And mm-hmm. yet they still it's worth so much to who they are to, to play that they they risk all of that. Yeah. So And, and that's
0: yeah. that's something as well that unless you've played the psychological aspect of contact sport particularly contact sport it's it's really hard to come back from a life-changing injury and go back out there and play an effective brand of football and get back to where you were that that is amazing respect because it is a big psychological battle and by no means have i done that you know even close to high stakes level but i can imagine you talk about some of these guys who are playing you know uh, afl football whatever it is nfl NRL have done, you know, had knee reconstructions four or five times, you know, and still trying to get back out there and get back to where they were. It's amazing yeah. the way the human body and mentality of that is.
1: Yeah. And I think it's much more about getting back to your tribe and being with your, your people uh, and doing that stuff that inherently, again, brings out the best of the inner man who, who we want to be. You know, when you're playing sport, your, your brains are all kind of working together. Your bodies are moving in unison. You're sensing where other people want you to be. You're communicating quickly and accurately under pressure. You're in this thing called flow, and we very rarely experience it. So to be doing that with other human beings, it's it's almost like poetry. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's symbolism of life at its very best. All of us moving together as one kind of, you know, conjoined uh, type of... Um, you know, you, you know uh animal but
0: yeah organism yeah I
1: organism it. that's the mm. word yeah mm. um there's something very very special about that that we don't experience very often i think maybe people in a choir might sometimes or you know people when they went to war did they had to you know train mm. for that but mm. in in the absence of war there's very few replacements for mm. everybody working what we call interdependently um mm. so And that's the most satisfying way to do life is that interdependence. But you've got to have humility to do it. You've got to allow others to step up when it's their turn uh, and give them the the glory of kicking the goal, whatever
0: it is. You know, I'm curious to know from your point of view, how does it go for men who, because to your point, there is very few substitutes these days for that environment of team. Uh, Conor McGregor talks about body in motion. You know, which is to your point, is there there is a there's a flow state in that, you know, you get the the feel good chemicals are, are pretty closely associated with that flow state and and that reward. How do blokes go who you know we've talked about blokes who 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 keep coming back for more each season, you know, the old collegians and the veterans and all this. How do blokes go when they do finally hang up the boots? They've they've committed, you know, so much of their identity and so much of their their um. I suppose their their security in the in the game. How do they go when their retirement comes? Do you see do you deal with many blokes around that?
1: Yeah, they go really badly. It's a grieving process. And it's something which we've talked about to a number of peak sporting bodies about particularly elite athletes preparing to come out the other end of their careers when from the time they were probably six or seven, their identity was as the basketballer, the hockey player, the swimmer, the footballer because their parents, often guilty, their teachers, their mates, always said, you know, that's Aaron, he's a great basketballer, he's a great footballer, and they walked all down the corridor with that kudos. It was who they really are in their own minds. And suddenly they've almost got to start life again, outside of that thing which made them who they were, and no one's ever prepared them for that, which is why we try to, from an early time within your sporting career, get you to see yourself as a person first and a sports person second and get people to understand that it's it's the character and the values that we um, live out when we're playing our sport more than the actual performance or results that actually yeah. matter. And if you can get them thinking that way really early and you can start rewarding their values and character, even as parents, by saying things, instead of saying, love the fact that you kick five goals, little Johnny, you're my little champion and I'm so proud of you. Mm. Instead, we say, love the fact that you turned up and trained when it was raining. That shows real commitment. Love the way you thanked the umpire after the game. You know, that showed real empathy. Love the way you kept, like you said, a blue head when that guy was pushing you around. You know, it showed real self-control. These are things that these kids can control from an early age. And if that's what gets the accolades from their parents and their coaches, then they go through sport recognising that it's not about them and their performance. It's about them and their contribution. It's about them and their building into others. as that selflessness again. And then it becomes this wonderful life experience. And then leaving is not so hard uh, because you can stay doing those things. Even after you stop playing, you can start coaching or you can just be a volunteer around the club and stay involved in supporting people because that was always important.
0: Yeah, that's good. And, and, Dave, what advice would you have for a young dad who's got, you know, one or two sons right now? He's, he's raising, you know, um, he's raising kids himself, uh, you know, or similarly, a young man who's who's currently, you know, focusing on having a career in professional sport. Uh, anyone of that type, you know, any, any man right now who's either having to sow into themselves or sow into others with regards to some of the values that we've talked about, what sort of strategies would you would you potentially provide that you think are gonna be instrumental in seeing some of these positive changes in the future of young people or even themselves?
1: Yeah, there's a number of things. For one, as a, a dad and you're raising your kids, what you role model is everything. So you can say whatever you like. The kids are gonna catch what you do, not what you say. They're gonna catch who you are. So we take the parent who's abusing the umpire and, you know, they're bringing up their kid to say that bullying is wrong. But come a Saturday, they're yelling at some 16-year-old umpire and showing that inconsistency that they actually don't really believe what they've said. Well, the kid picks up on that. I think um, the other thing as a parent, whether it's a boy or a girl, doesn't matter who you're bringing up. But there's two barrier lanes. On the one side, we say, this is how much I love you. And I will never, ever, ever stop loving you. But these are the standards that we walk by. These are the things that we believe in. These are the attributes that are non-negotiable. We are respectful. We are kind. And we talk about our values as a, as a, as a family. This is what we stand for. These are the behaviours that are um, expected of you. So we set those those standards but I will never stop loving you and you can talk to me about anything and I will trust you. I will always trust you until you break the trust. Mm. And when you've broken the trust, it's very hard to earn it back again. So don't ever break the trust. And if you make a mistake and you tell me, we won't punish you. We'll just talk it through. But if you lie to me. That is, the big, that, that is the big sin. You, you don't do that. Mm. But I won't stop loving you ever, and I don't expect you to be perfect. And mm. sometimes as parents we need to say these are the mistakes that we made, and that was okay because we fail often and we fail quickly and we get up and we go again. Mm. And so we don't hold that against you. We have a big um, front windscreen and a small rear vision mirror, and we don't look in the rear vision mirror too often. We say, okay, we deal with that. And now we move forward as to who we're going to be. But just think having those conversations. And as a parent, to ask the kid, how are you going? Tell me what you learned at school today. What did you learn from your friends? What are you thinking about at the moment? And just have those conversations. How are you going? How are you really going? I'm here to talk if you want to. And if that kid says, no, 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 I don't want to talk. No, nah, don't want to talk. Keep saying it anyway. Because they need to know that you're there. And one day they will uh, come and talk to you. So I think that communication piece, the trust piece, the two barriers piece, the role model piece, the consistency piece, I know it sounds quite hard and we make a lot of mistakes, but that would be what I would say to parents.
0: That's good. That's good. And it, it, it certainly ties in with, with what this what this uh, initiative is all about, which is the truth, you know, is presenting the truth. The truth is important and the truth matters, and so telling the truth to your kids being honest with your kids being honest with yourself and then having the courage to be able to act upon that and have those conversations and be more than words but be action or you know you know words worked out into action and yeah. then and then having that integrity you know to yeah. be able to be honest with yourself around that you know, and don't go into, your bat, into bat for your
1: kid every time. Don't go in and tell the teacher that they're wrong and that your kid is right and that your kid deserves to play on the ball for the entire <laughs> game because they're the best kid in it. Um,
0: Can I tell you a story about that, Dave? <laughs> i uh, uh, two, two, I've got two, two stories about my dad and the way my dad brought us up. You know my dad very well. But um, I remember playing under-16s footy and uh, I was quite a... Um, quite a gentle kid growing up. I, I probably wasn't as um, aggressive as I got when I was in my early 20s, when I started getting a little bit taller and realized that I could push people around a little bit more. So when I was 16, I didn't quite have that confidence and on the sporting field. And I came off after one game and I got I got knocked out cold out on the wing. And the first time I got knocked out and and, uh, and I you know, ended up playing a short game that day and came off and hopped in the car with dad after I got my, my sports bag and sitting in the passenger seat. And dad looks at me and goes, listen, mate, you you don't have enough mongrel in you. <laughs> he goes, you've got to give it away. <laughs> he said, go back to basketball. Just go back to basketball, mate. You don't have enough mongrel in you. You've got to give it away. And my, my dad was not about handing out participation awards. You know, he just, I don't know whether it's because he had six sons. And by the time he got to number four, he was a bit over it. <laughs> but, I don't know. It's a good thing. I was exactly the same with, with my son. I remember saying to him, "Get back on, on the field,"
1: and he, <laughs> he'd come off because he said his wrist was hurting. And afterwards, I, uh, I reluctantly took him to the doctor, and he had broken it. Oh. <laughs>
0: so he hasn't let me forget that. <laughs> oh, the other the other one that I got was when I was um, talking about you know not siding not not siding with your with your with your child all the time when it comes to other discipline. You know or correction or something like that from a teacher or a coach but i was going to a, a church camp and uh, i was getting on the bus and my dad uh, handed the youth pastor at the time a note and uh and i, I didn't know what that said at the time but uh in hindsight i learned that the note said to the youth pastor if aaron if aaron steps out of line you you are you are quite welcome to give him a good thrashing <laughs> And there will be no there'll be no retribution for the thrashing. You take it into your own hands. Oh, well, you've turned
1: out all right despite that harsh parenting, a Good on you,
0: Reno. Uh whatever, classic stuff. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think that's really good too, is that um is it's it's that's a big part of responsibility. Is teaching your kids responsibility for their actions. And and I'm 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 a spring chicken when it comes to parenthood, right? So I'm only learning this as I go, but hearing what you're saying is i agree you know that the moment that you don't teach that responsibility to a child for their actions and you 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 try and place that blame somewhere else or not have that critical discussion it's damaging incredibly damaging
1: there's a whole lot of sort of socio psychological milestones along the the Um, growing up as a child and into teenagers where they have to go in one direction or or another according to decisions that they make and and consequences that happen and if we rob them of the natural consequences of making poor decisions then they go down a pathway of, of, of the least resistance and consider that to be the way to live life and so it's very detrimental to their resilience in particular and their problem solving and their responsibility and the things which they're going to have to learn. Parents who think they're doing their kids a service, do them a great disservice by not allowing the natural consequences of things to play out when they make poor decisions.
0: Yeah. I don't envy teachers in this current setting. Uh, It must be really challenging between, you know, misinformation through social media, all the different mediums now that just seem to muddy the waters as well as yeah, the paying parent, particularly in some of these schools, the paying parent that they expect a certain way. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Now here's the teachers; uh, they yeah. earn their money and then they earn it again. Yeah, absolutely. Do you miss teaching? I miss the uh, yeah. So I miss the the kids, the families, the staff room, the the relationship stuff.
0: Yeah. And I want to say something as well. You know, you talked about you never prepared a syllabus going into any of your classes and you always relied on circle work. You know, if I can talk from experience here, because no one can ever challenge your own experience, it's a beautiful thing about testimony, is that I don't actually remember the teachers that were really good at delivering measurable, very consistent, you know, sterile syllabuses. You remember the teachers that built relationships, and equipped you with life skills and conversation that went beyond just you know a, a TER or a VCE score. And I'm not saying that those things aren't valuable; they're important. You've got to apply yourself, get 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 those things right. But particularly for young men, um, having a, having a having a senior mentor or, or another teacher older than you meet you at your level and then drag you up is powerful
1: oh and it just makes good sense as a teacher i used to try and identify who was going to be the naughtiest kid in the class in the first class of every year and that Mm. kid would normally come in and be full of bravado and you think this could be a long year with this kid Mm. so i would sidle out and find them at recess you'd have to give up one recess of your life to go and find that kid after you'd had the the lesson and say tell me what you're into what do you like doing? And, you know, often they were the sporty kids and they'd say, oh, I play this and that. And mm. I would commit the stuff to memory. And then the next time I saw that kid, I'd say, how'd you go with with your footy or whatever that interest was? Those kids never misbehaved. They might have misbehaved in every other class, but as soon as you took that personal interest in them, they said, for you, I will be my best version of myself. And it wasn't rocket science. It's just the heart of human nature. You know, so... Um, yeah, It was self-preservation self was the motivation to some degree <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get to know that the kids, uh, yeah, I think that that's the, that's the whole thing of life. I went to a cricket club reunion recently and I hadn't played cricket there in 30 years. And when I arrived there, it's funny, you reconnect with people, but I couldn't remember who'd made how many runs or taken wickets or what years we'd won premierships. I remembered oh that's the guy that would walk back to my bowling mark when i was starting to lose my temper and would just calm me down well that was the guy who would drive me home from training if my parents didn't turn up to to pick me up i remembered the people who cared that's what lasted 30 years when i reconnected with them was exactly what you just said
0: yeah that's amazing isn't it Mm. and funny how memory works Mm. so so in summary, Dave, is there, is there anything else you wanted to you wanted to put forward while we're still going? I don't want to I don't want to cut you short. This has been, I can tell you, this has been really valuable for me, you know, if nothing else. But also as well, I think that for the people listening, I'm encouraged. One one to hear that, and this is not not me trying to wee in your pocket, but you know, one for me to hear that we've got people like yourself and your initiative, and I know you've got a team now out there, spending time with young men and women giving them value, giving them an an alternative voice to what society is putting forward as value and as important, and giving them a way out. Because this can be some really dark stuff. And you can go into some places where I can't think of anything more challenging than an environment of hopelessness, where people feel like they've tried the recipe, the recipe hasn't worked, and they just haven't had an alternative voice. And so I'm really encouraged, and I want to encourage you and encourage the SALT initiative and and, and that model and what they're doing because, you know, it's an alternative to what's out there at the moment. There's plenty of other good organisations doing good things as well, no doubt, but while we're here for this for this present moment, I think it's important to acknowledge that. But is there anything else you wanted to potentially share with our listeners or anyone that's... Uh, look, you're right in that sense that at
1: the moment there's a, a bit of hopelessness around. Yeah. There's this... Um, real uh, resignation syndrome, that this is the habits of my life now are very lazy. Um, A lot of people have disconnected with relationships. In the first year of it, we probably tried fairly hard to maintain relationships. We got Zoom fatigue, Um, we we just got kind of effort fatigue. Um, And I think we're gonna have to work really hard when we come out just to re-establish relationships and trust and get people back up being their best versions of themselves. So there's been an interesting study by Melbourne University around what's called post-traumatic growth. And what it says is that when you go through a really serious trauma uh, like we've been through, typically about 50% of the population end up worse off 10 years later. They continue to grieve the losses of whatever happened. But about 50% uh, get better. And they look back and they go, that period in my life set me up to be a better person in the future. There's five attributes. The first one is they have authentic relationships. The second one is they have this deep spiritual experience, this sense that I have to do life differently. The third one is they seek new beginnings. What can I do that I've never done before? Form those relationships, join that club, uh, do that course, whatever it is. The fourth one is they identify their strengths and they, they work more often within their strength suit. And the fifth one is they practice gratitude they actually practice it till it becomes natural. So they start thanking people. I think we're going to have to do a lot of that. So I think just making the effort now as we come out to break off some of the negativity of what we've been through and create new beginnings that could set our society up to be better than it ever has before by questioning the stuff that didn't work beforehand. You know, we're not going to go back to work and do things quite the way we ever did before because there's been a shakeup. I think a shake-up can be a really good thing. But if we're talking to men in particular, let's lead our families. Let's not be afraid to be men. Let's have those strong conversations that I gave plenty of examples about. But with that other side, that love, that care, that respect, that gentleness, that tenderness, that humility, that's the one side. And then when we've got that in spades, the strength, the courage, the, the banter, the physicality, that stuff's great because it's balanced. And then we become that rounded you know, best version of ourselves.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that best version of yourself. That's that's powerful. Mm. Because that, that's not so specific that anyone can do that. And I think as well, that's one thing that I'm, you know, I love, I love development. I love personal development. I love seeing my kids develop. I love seeing, you know, my wife develop. Everyone get better. And that is no one... That is not in reach of anyone. It's in breach of everyone, I should say. Anyone can be better. It can be relative to where you are now. There is always room for improvement. So I love it. That's awesome, Dave. That's and, and so and so, what? where can people find you if they want to say hello, if they want to see that check out Salt, they want to jump on your website, they want to see what you're doing, they want to potentially get behind what you're doing. Where can they find you? What's the best way to get hold of you? And I can put some links on YouTube as well. Remember
1: salt, but don't type in salt or you'll just look up, you know, white powder. (laughs) Sports and life training. You spell it out, sport. And uh, look, if I had my time again, I'd make it shorter. uh, But sport and life training. Sport and life training. Look us up on the internet. Get us out to your sporting club. Get us out to your workplace. Don't get us out to your school. We're kind of sick of doing schools. They're too hard. Get us out to your workplace. (laughs) at your sporting
0: club that's and, awesome uh, yeah we'd love to see you yeah i love it dave and again and good babe, luck with I... what you're
1: doing aaron and thank you for what you're doing really uh tremendous service
0: no that's okay i'm i'm um i'm encouraged by blokes like yourself and and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without people sacrificing their time and sitting on this and talking about their journey and their story so we appreciate it mate thanks again no
1: worries thank you